Like Daniel said, we're going to be in Romans chapter 1. And we'll mainly be hovering around verses 16 and 17. Um, This is not where I thought that I would be, which I didn't think I'd be preaching this week, but at the same time, it was where God had led me to. You know how in your Bible you have reference points, and it might reference from one side to the other, it might reference the Old Testament, or reference led me to here. And it caught my attention, and it got me to really asking questions. Before we get started, let me pray one more time. Lord, we come to you right now, Lord, unable to understand any of this, Lord, without your help, without the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we cannot see the deeper things of God. We can't understand you without your help. Father, we can't live godly lives without your help. So, Lord, I pray that you would keep us attentive to your word. Lord, not that we would just understand your word for the sake of knowledge, Lord, but like we learned this morning in Sunday school, Lord, that we would be able to obey you. Lord, that the world could see us different than anybody else. Lord, they could see the love that we have for you. Father, show us more about who you are and teach us how to be less of ourselves and live godly lives. Father, I pray that that your word would not fall on deaf ears. I pray that um, if there's one in here, Lord, that doesn't know who you are, Lord, that today would be the day you would open their eyes. Lord, we, we know that only comes through the power of the Spirit, too. So, Lord, we, we plead for you to move the Spirit. Father, we thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have titled this sermon, Unashamed, for several reasons. Uh, one, uh, for anybody who's known me for any period of time, I enjoy Duck Dynasty, and that happens to be the name of uh, Phil and Jace's podcast. I enjoy the things they do. Uh, they are a part of a different denomination that I don't completely agree with every teaching of, but the main thing is the main thing, that we put our hope and our trust and our faith in Christ alone, and that I can't agree on. And because of probably one of the most influential people in my life that you might have seen last year in in a video we put together, uh, Brother Nick. This week has been an emotional roller coaster. Not because of that, because God has shown me his hand. And I'm going to try to hold it together as much as I can. He has shown his hand in so many things this week. And I praise him for it. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. I'm going to read them one more time, and then we're going to scan through them one more time. It says, Paul, this is Paul talking here, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I'm going to take us all the way back to 1500 here 
I love church history. Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther, the, the, the Reformation leader, the one who went up against the Catholic Church and said, no, it is by faith alone, in Christ alone. He fought against what looked like to be a bigger giant than what he could ever be, but God was in control. It says, the last sermon Martin Luther preached was in the second week of February, 1546, in his hometown of Eisleben. Two days later, he would become ill and die. In his last sermon, Luther preached about his concern for Germany. He observed that after the gospel had been rediscovered, after light had dawned and pushed aside the darkness that had covered it during the Middle Ages, people were now becoming somewhat jaded to the gospel. They could hear it from virtually every pulpit in Germany, but it was no longer something that ignited fire in their bones. Instead, peasants were journeying to see relics throughout various villages in Germany, which signified a return to the system of medieval Roman Catholicism. The peasants were going to these villages because in one town they claimed to possess the pants of Joseph. Another one had a vial of milk they claimed to be from the Virgin Mary. And so people flocked to these places just to get a glimpse of the pants of Joseph and the milk of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Luther was very upset about this. He wondered why in the world would peasants anywhere make a great journey to see a piece of cloth that was worn by Joseph. The answer was very simple. They were looking for power. They believed that the relics of the saints contained power, power to heal, power to forgive, and power to transform their lives. So in his dying sermon, Luther pled with the people not to be fooled by impotent articles that weren't the real thing. He implored them not to seek after these things as if they were an improvement to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The problem that Luther had identified is that the people were departing from the power of God. That's what Luther was trying to say in his last sermon. Where's the power? It's in the Word, and we're looking everywhere else for it, and it's always been in the Word. The world downplaying, diminishing, and mocking the resurrection of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the gospel of Jesus Christ, is nothing new. You remember being in the world, right? Did it sound like something foolish to you before God opened your eyes? Absolutely. It made no sense. Crucifixion, now we're looking in, the, in their time, crucifixion was the worst way to die. It was the worst. The Romans had basically made the perfect way to torture somebody all the way to the point of death. If you read what actually happens in crucifixion, it, is, it will make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. It is so un, or inhumane, I guess, so to say. So to say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, a man they knew that was crucified, sounded completely silly. It was too simple. There was no, um, there was no substance to it. He just died. And you want me to believe in him? Paul, before his conversion, was in the same boat as them. He persecuted the church. He didn't believe it either. 
It wasn't until the power of God changed Paul that he understood God's mighty hand at work in his own life. To most people, though, we look at Paul and we say, well, that's extreme sin. He was an extreme conversion case. I mean, he was having people killed. But this is an error on our part because we are just as guilty as Paul is. You don't have to kill somebody to be just as guilty as Paul is, or Paul was, so to say. We too were haters of God. And one thing that we're really guilty of is we'll put sin on the scale. We'll look at it and say, yeah, but you know, he was a murderer. And what he did, I can see why Paul was on fire, because he's seen what he was saved from, because of what his acts. But what we forget is... The truth is, sin is sin is sin is sin to God. It's not about what we see. It's not about our scale. It's about God's scale. When God says sin, whether it's murder, whether it's a little white lie, is all sin. The same power that said, let there be light in the heart of Paul, if you are a born-again Christian, is the same power that said, let there be light in your heart when your eyes were opened. So Paul opens up to the Romans with a powerful greeting. He explains to the Christians of Rome how he desires to be with them. So Paul did not plant this church. Uh, the Catholics actually believe that Peter did, but that's not right either. They actually believe that when Peter was preaching at Pentecost, you remember there was thousands and thousands of people saved. When They believed that a group of people that were saved during this period of time, actually went back and started a church in Rome. And Paul is telling them how he desires to be with them. This is a people he, he don't even know personally. He desires to be with them because he desires to share the gospel with them, to preach it to them. They're already saved. They're already a church. But he desires to preach the gospel to them. That, what he's saying is, Yes, you are saved. Yes, you have heard the gospel. I want to preach the whole counsel of God to you. That's missing in a lot of our time today. That's missing in a lot of our churches. It's easy to say Jesus loves you and he wants the best for your lives. But if just left there, good. I love me too and I want the best for me too. That's just the good news. News is not too good until the bad news comes first. So the first question that we're going to answer here is if Paul is not ashamed of this gospel, what is this gospel he's not ashamed of? Uh, the word gospel simply means good news. So what is this good news that he has to tell us he's not ashamed of? And, and we're not going to go far. You go back to Romans chapter 1. He says, Paul, <coughs> excuse me, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart, for the gospel of God. So, this is God's gospel. That he, he places claim on it. He is the, it is his, and he is the author of it. He is the initiator of it. Paul goes on to say in verse 2, this is the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So, there's a fact. The gospel was not a divine afterthought. There's a lot of people that read this book 
And they think that God was looking, He created these people. And He was looking down with His fingers crossed and He was saying, Boy, I hope they don't sin against me. And then when they did sin against Him, He said, Now I've got to come up with a plan. I, got to get them, I have to give them a way out. But I want you to understand that all the way back to the Old Testament, as far back as we can possibly see, is where we're going to look. And you're going to see that this wasn't an audible in God's divine playbook. He didn't look at it and go, man, what am I going to do now? What is, what's plan B? They didn't listen to me. What's plan B? Go, go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He says, this is, this is right after the fall of man. If you remember, Satan comes to Eve and he tells her, or he asks a question, did God really say that you can't eat of this fruit? And she said, yeah, he said that. He said, the, the day we do, we'll surely die. And, and Satan uses God's word against Eve. Mind you, we know Adam is probably there too, and he allows Satan to lead Eve into sin. Not only does he allow that, but he says, you know what? I'm going to join you. I want to know. I want to know what it's like to be God. And this is, this is the punishment that God is telling Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, Satan, and you shall bruise his heel. You might bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. He's going to kill you once and for all. Now you think about the time that this came. This is the pronouncing of the curse. And in the very same moment that he pronounces the curse, he, the gospel was mentioned. God didn't leave them to their self without any hope, even after they had clearly disobeyed him. What they did, they should have been killed on the spot. They should have died that day, that very moment. And God says, here's my plan for redemption. That is an amazing thought. That at the moment the human race fell, God says, this is the plan. He knew before he created them that they were going to fall. He knew before he created Satan that he was going to lead the whole entire human race into sin. And he knew that he was going to have to send his son to die for our sins. God didn't, he's not reactive. He doesn't wait to see what happens and then say, what am I going to do now? And that ought to give us the biggest comfort to know that when we wake up in the morning, everybody put in our place is there for a purpose. And what I want us to recognize today is we might be missing what the purpose actually was. Now, it's, it's hard to understand these things, and we're not in the dark. We see the disciples do the same thing. Look at Luke 24. This is after Jesus is resurrected, and this is rather lengthy, but I want you to see what it says. It says, that very day, two of them, this two of the disciples, were going into a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Next. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. 
but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. God has that power. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas, Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Are you kidding me? You don't know what, what just took place? And he said to them, What things? This is hilarious conversation here. What, what things are you talking about? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, I would have passed out right where I stood. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things, all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So basically, he took them all the way back to what we have as Genesis. And he probably ran them all the way through Genesis and 2 Samuel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and Micah and Zechariah. There's so much there that tells us about his coming. But the problem was is we didn't see Jesus in the Old Testament time. They didn't know what was going to happen. All they knew was God said, I'm going to provide a way. So it was kind of like something lit dimly. We can see where he's going to do something, but we don't know how he's going to do it. And Jesus said, it's been me the whole time. I'm going to take you back and show you. So he took them back and he showed them exactly who he was. The gospel of God, the good news, is promised from the moment the bad news is announced. That should also give us comfort to know that God did not have to wait and draw a plan together. It was already there. It was ready to be set in motion. The fall separated man from God in relationship. We read back to the garden. And all you can do is just go, man, what it would be like to be there. No sin. I can talk with God. We can walk and talk face to face. That's what it's going to be like one day. There is hope. The opportunity to have a relationship with our Maker by forgiveness of our sins, that's what God has offered us. It is undeserving salvation. Verse 16, Paul says that this gospel, the gospel of God, he promised beforehand, because we see that in verse 2, 
is the power of God for salvation. The power of God for salvation. His, he, can't, he can't get them to understand enough, I guess. Do you look at your own life and think that something minor has been done there for you to be able to understand the things of God? And the answer has to be, if you truly are saved, no. Kirby said it this morning in Sunday school. It's nothing short of a miracle. You want to see a miracle? Are you saved? You've seen one. You've seen one. You who were dead in sin. Have you ever seen a dead man raise himself out of a casket, out of a grave? Absolutely not. Because they can't do it. You who were dead in sin, just he gave us a perfect example in John of Lazarus, said, Lazarus, come out. God spoke and life came. The same way from the beginning. The same way that he said, let there be light and there was light is the same way he said, let there be light on your hearts and your eyes were opened. And he's trying to get them to understand that I'm not ashamed of this gospel. Now, we've got to look at who Paul is, right? Because we can read this verse and go, yes, me too, Paul. Amen. I ain't ashamed of it either. But look at your lives. Look at your daily lives. Paul was in prison in Philippi. He got ran out of Thessalonica. He was laughed at in Athens. He was seen as a fool in Corinth. He was arrested in Jerusalem. He was stoned in Galatia. He died for this cause. And then I look... At myself, Paul looks unstoppable. Everywhere he was put, he preached. It don't matter if it was in prison. It don't matter if it was in front of a ruler. He did not cower. And I look at myself, and most days I look pretty, I look pretty stoppable. Proverbs 29 says, How the fear of man brings a snare. And you can say that I'm not scared I'm not scared to, to say anything. I'm not scared of man. How many times in the last week did you talk to somebody about God? Did you share the gospel with somebody? I can tell you how many times I did. Zero. And I asked the question, why is that? Because really down deep inside, I don't care what people really think about me. I care about what God thinks of me more than anything. So what is my reason? And you can put your blame on a lot of things. One thing is, is we're so attached to these things here that we don't even know how to communicate with one another anymore. We can't carry on a conversation and let it quick to the point. We want to try to talk in, in emoticons and use LOL as our language. I mean, think about it. We have dumbed ourselves down so much. And you can blame it on that, but it all goes back to what is people going to think about me if I say this? But you look at the life of Paul. Man, I ain't never been stoned for, for telling anybody the gospel. I might have been laughed at a few times. But you realize that God was in control of the evil that went on to Paul too, and he's the same way with you. And it, it really, really... I mean, it just hit me like a ton of rocks. I told my wife, I said, this is probably the most convicting message to myself I can ever preach. 
because I fail so many times at what the opportunity is given in front of me. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 6. This is Paul, and he's talking, he's talking to Timothy, and he says, you remember, Timothy was a young preacher, and he's trying to comfort him, and, and Timothy was scared to death. He says, for this reason, I remind you. He's told him about his faith, where his faith came from, and how, how he was raised in a good family of faith. For this reason, I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, because God gave us these things, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, His prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifest, has been shown through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until the day what has been entrusted to me. Do you believe this? I know you know what has been done in your life, but do you believe this with Paul? And if you believe this, are you... Ashamed? Shame sometimes? And what really got me thinking was, man, how easy is it to go into a group of people and start talking about sports? Start talking about weather? Start talking about just general things? It's so easy. I can pull up at the gas pump and, and find something to talk to somebody about their truck. And the only place it's easy to talk about God is when we walk in this building or when we have a small group. Why? What are we scared of? Paul says, I'm convinced that he is able to guard until the day what has been entrusted to me. You don't want to know what? Suffering, being made fun of, those are things you can share in the suffering of Christ with. We're not persecuted over here like third world countries. Nobody's chasing us with machetes. So there's a little bit of comfort there, right? But we won't even get out of our comfort zone to share the gospel with somebody. What makes us so scared of men? The world is not impressed with the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1.18 We'll remember us being the same way. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Absolute truth. To those who do not understand, those whose eyes who ha have not been opened, it sounds absolutely ridiculous. 
but to us who are being saved, to us whose eyes have been opened. It is the power of God. To understand this, i got to find this quote that I found because it, it, it really puts it in perspective here. And I'm a MacArthur fan, so forgive me. But he was spot on when he said, this is the most life-transforming truth ever put in the hands of men. And if we really understand it and respond to it, it has the ability to change time and eternity. Your words, when you speak this truth, God has chosen you as the conduit, as the avenue to lead people to eternal life. And if you don't think that's big, then you really don't understand what eternal life is. You don't see the other side of the coin. You really didn't understand the bad news. That you were headed for hell. And you didn't even know it. You didn't even have a choice in the matter. And God chose to open your eyes, who should have went to hell, and then He chose to use you to tell everybody else about it. Wow. It is mind-blowing. So Paul was so bold to preach the gospel because he believed it was. He believed it was the power of God for salvation. None of the beatings, none of the mocking, none of the threats, any other thing that was thrown his way did not stop him from preaching this gospel. He understood that God was completely in control even of the evil things and nothing would slow him down. Because he knew its power and also, verse 17, for in it... For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Did you catch that? Paul is saying the gospel has the power of God for salvation because through it, through it, God imparts or He places His own righteousness on those who believe. You don't have an ounce of righteousness in you, but because God has chosen to open your eyes, he now places His righteousness on you. His righteousness. Not some of it. All of it. And it is revealed to those who believe in Christ. Look at Philippians 3, 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And being found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Remember, the law only brought curse, right? But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And then again in Romans chapter 3, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Next verse. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Here's the bomb drop. It's the bad news, guys. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Have you heard that so many times that it's calloused you over? 
All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All deserve hell, but they are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. If that don't make you want to jump and run out of your seat and go tell people, I don't know what does. The idea here that Paul is talking about is it's faith for faith. Or if you multiply that faith to faith to faith to faith. You remember back in, in math and the teacher told you, uh, take the number 10 and divide it by 3. When did the 3 stop? Never. Remember we had to draw the little line above it. That's what faith looks like. It comes to you. It comes to you. It comes to you. Well, it's not a disease. It don't jump. How does it get there? You speak. You preach this because you know it is the power of God. It's the same idea here, but we're not dividing anything. We're multiplying our testimonies, think of this, our testimonies reveal the power of God in the gospel, don't they? How do I know what you believe? You can stand here and you can quote me Bible verses all day long, but if I don't see its effects, remember, I, I got to see where the Holy Spirit's been. I can't see it move, but I can tell it's been there. And this really, really started weighing on me. And, and, and what got me thinking about it was, was Brother Nick. Because Nick was real big about wanting to tell. He, he loved to hear stories. He loved to tell stories. Because they had a purpose. They had a purpose behind them. Who were you before Christ opened your eyes? You were just a cheery person to be around, weren't you? You were just bubbly with, with just the, the, the most godliness ever. Wrong. Wrong. But what, what, what happened when your eyes were open? Did you see how good of a person you were? You saw how bad, how wretched, how I deserved death. That's what you're saying. But then the gospel came in. And I was sitting there, and I, I found myself replaying my own story in my head, and I've shared it with a bunch of people, and I'm not going to reshare it again. If you'd like to hear it, I'd love to share it. If you'd like to share yours with me, I'd love to hear it, because this is what keeps me going. This is the edification, right? You can read me a Bible verse, and I am I'm happy to hear the Word of God, but when you can show it at work in your life, all I want to do is praise with you. And when I was thinking about it, all I can do is cry like a baby. Because I remember the, days that my, the day that my eyes were, was opened. And, and I heard the bad news first. And just to catch the, the, the far glimpse of it, I, I was like Paul, I think. I seen myself as the worst sinner. You couldn't get any worse than what I was. And God opened my eyes in a hospital room. And He used... Duck Dynasty to do it. They didn't have a whole lot of seasons out at the time, and I ran out of videos to watch. So I went to YouTube just to find anything. And these fellows had been around for quite some time, longer, way longer than what A&E proclaimed. And I ran into a video that said, Phil preaching, and I was like, what? Preaching? I mean, they prayed at their meals. But that's all TV wanted you to see. And I listened to this man deliver the gospel. And I felt this pain in my chest. 
this twisting. It was like a hot knife being dug into my soul. And I seen exactly who I was before God. I seen how guilty I was. I seen that I was condemned. I seen I was lost. I seen there was no hope for me in myself. I could not save myself. There was nothing I could do. There was nobody I could talk to to get me out of this. There's no lawyers that are going to stand with you in, in, in the presence of God and, and, and say, I don't think you should send him to hell. It doesn't work that way. You're either covered by the blood or you're not. Amen. And then came the good news. You ever had somebody come to you and say, I got bad news and I got good news. Which one do you want to hear first? I want to hear the bad news first and hope the good news makes the bad news not so bad. But the good news is here is the bad news all goes away. I don't have to think about it anymore. I don't have to deal with it anymore because God says it's gone. It is gone. And I had heard it before. I don't know how many times I'd heard the gospel preached and people had shared with me at school. But it never made it past my ears until this day. It was nothing I did. It was when God said, let you hear this. Let light shine upon your heart. Let you see who you are before me right now. That's what he said. And I heard that God, the Son, Jesus had come down to live the perfect life that I could look back and see that I did not do a good job of. And he did it for me. And all I had to do was believe. Just believe. The problem is most days when this message is delivered, all you have to do is believe and Jesus loves you and all these things and the truth is not really told. The whole counsel is not told. You don't see how bad of a shape you're in. You just see the good news, right? You've got to see how far you are from God first before you can ever come to Him. If you think that God looked at you and saw how good of a person you were, you have missed it. That is so wrong. That was the mindset of the Pharisees. Thank you, God, that I am not like this tax collector, this publican. And I heard how He paid for my sins, and I I heard that God put them on him like he had committed every single one of them, and it broke my heart. And I squalled. And I was showed in Scripture that if I truly believed, then I would be saved. And like I said, I'd heard it all, but this time it hit like a burning dagger. I couldn't escape it, and when I seen the mercy and grace of God, I couldn't turn away from it. That's how you know when it's real. I don't get a choice in the matter. I can do nothing but run to you, God, because you've showed me who I am. You showed me. 